Welcome back to episode three with National Leader of the Month, Bill Glass. Here in the final episode of the Bill Glass interview, he will be discussing his story, talking about the father figure void that is facing many of the prisoners he ministers to. And finally, he'll be sharing some goals that are on Bill Glass's horizon. Okay, here's my favorite one, Bill. Your story. If I ask you to share a story that kind of tells me what you're all about, or you know, either it could be a personal story about yourself, or just a story you think illustrates something that's important in life, Anything you could come up with there? Well, I gave you the story. I gave you the story. I guess the story that's most characteristic of me is is the one about my dad, you know, and and my coach. That's I think that's the most characteristic story that that I have. That you know, those were life changing things to me. Uh, I think you know I probably had. I had that life-changing thing when my dad was such a tremendous blesser. He he would, you know, dream with me every night about how I was going to do great things. Then when he died, I had a t- terrible hole in my heart. Then I had that hole filled by my coach. And then when I went into prison, I saw a group of men in prison who didn't have anything, who didn't have this. And I saw the tremendous vacuum in their hearts because they had no father to bless them. I was on death row in Mississippi several years ago, 44 men on death row at the time. And I went from cell to cell and asked every man the same question. I said, how did, you and your da- how did you and your dad get along? 44 out of 44 hated their father. They all hated their father. Really? It triggered within them a, a tremendous hatred. And uh, it was it was amazing to see in prison, especially violent criminals, how often they have a father problem. Of the shooters, the 17 shooters in the school shootings, you know, that went happened in the late 90s and even this last one, they had uh, they always there was only one consistency among the the shooters. They all had a father problem. Mm. And uh, in the New Orleans, when they had the tremendous flood down there. Uh, they said only one in 20 families in the ghetto there where they had the worst devastation, only one in 20 had a father lived in the home. Wow. And when, you know, when there's no father living in the home, it creates a ghetto. Because if a man is faced with one wife and one set of children and he loves them and supports them, it builds a strong family and a strong, strong neighborhood and a strong country. But when, there's, when there is uh, no father present, the result is a ghetto, and uh, or the result is violent criminality. So I guess I've seen such tremendous contrast. You know, the contrast of having a great father losing him, contrast of having a great coach, and uh, then seeing in prison, uh, you know, that took the place, and then Fred Smith, who took his, play, his place when he died, he died about the time I quit pro, pro ball, and Fred Smith took his place, and then I've seen in prison the contrast of no father or a father a father that deserted or a father that was abusive. So a woman in prison told me, my dad didn't beat me. He didn't bless me. He beat me. You know, so my, my dad didn't bless me. She, he raped me. Mm. 
you say what kind of father would do a thing like that, the answer is a lot of them. Really? Because, uh, because you know, that's that's the cause of much of criminality, in my opinion, is, is sorry fathers. What what did you say? Sorry, fathers. Horrible fathers. Horrible fathers. fathers. Okay. Yeah, or or deserting fathers, which is a horrible father, or an abusive father, and so, uh, you know, an absentee father. What else can we do as a society to try to curb this trend, or at least one of the things I say to the inmates in prison is, you got to bless your kids. And uh, it, blessing is a very ancient tradition started by Jews in, in, in ancient Israel, you know, where they would bless their children. To this day, the bar mitzvah, in the bar mitzvah, they bless their kids. And there's still not very many Jews in prison. Unfortunately, hmm. very few Jews in prison. And I think it's largely because of bar mitzvah. They bless their kids and, and make the kids feel blessing means freedom to prosper. When you say when your when your father grabs you and looks you in the eye and hugs you and tells you he thinks you're terrific, I love you and I bless you and I think you're terrific. It frees you to prosper. So when the father doesn't do that, he he's always hamstrung. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it's it's amazing when a father does that to his children how how much freer they are to prosper. Wow. And uh, and and how when he doesn't do it, it creates terrific problems, just unbelievable problems. Hmm. Uh, so what I say is, you, you you do it several ways. You do it with a hug. You hug them and you and you bless them. You can't do this at arm's length. And uh, you do it out loud. Too many fathers think this is sort of understood, and it's not understood. It's got it's got to be stated. I know one father that said to his 50-year-old daughter, you know, I love you, don't you? She said, no, why not? Well, you never told me. Oh, wow. You really told me, if you really loved me once in over 50 years, you'll be said out loud, you know. <laughs> and uh, when, he, when, when he was able to do it, they both cried for an hour. It, 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 just, it just broke a big, it was like a big uh, dam break, you know, because they were able to, it was a catharsis because they were able to, say it out loud hmm. but a lot of men have a problem with that they just can't say it sure so I think you communicate three things in this blessing you say it with with a with a with a hug you say it out loud and the, 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 what you say out loud is three things love value and belonging okay why belonging well belonging the reason kids get in gangs is because they don't really feel they belong you're see the father needs to say you're mine I'm, I'm proud you are uh uh you give the kid a sense of belonging. Mother can't do that by herself. She needs dad's help for that. To make the kid feel that he belongs. All those girls in Death Row love their mama. It's the daddy they got the problem with, see. Sure. And uh, so so the father has to step in and make the kid feel he belongs. When kids get in gangs, they're really looking for a father's blessing in the gang. It's sort of a substitute sort of a substitute family. Right. And you'll hear them say things like, I I got your back. Right. I love you, bro. I love you, bro. That kind of thing. They got your back. Well, the truth is that they don't have their back. First time they get in trouble, the gang will split in every direction. And the gang never visits their their gang members in prison. Hmm. So so what you got to say is it's, it's a substitute family. It's not a very good family at all. So you say, I love you. I, I, I think you're terrific. I bless you. 
and your mind. So that's love, value, and belonging. Hmm. You, you communicate the love, value, and belonging in, in different ways, but but what I say is I love you, you're terrific in your mind. Hmm. And, and it's kind of a little formula, but it's got to be believable, you know. So you can do that in a lot of different ways. Sure. And it, it takes different forms as the kids get older. So, uh, wow. Oh, that's great. Great yeah. wisdom. Well, I'll, I'll show you how it worked out with me and my family. One of my boys said, Dad, you know, you were playing football and you were dragging a bag of sports between Texas and, and Ohio playing football. For 12 years, we played pro ball, and I, I moved 27 times in 12 years. Wow. And I never had, you know, I never had any feeling that I would belong to anywhere, and I would get, I, you know, I'd, I'd get started to feel like I really had a tough time reading. I went in my bed, and I felt like that it was your fault, and I thought you were sort of selfish in, in causing me to move back and forth. I said, well, you know, I want you to forgive me because I was wrong. I should not have moved you back and forth that much. And he said, okay, I'll do that. And I said, but you know what? I'm, I'm not altogether sorry I did it because he turned out to be such a fantastic person that if I hadn't made that mistake, you wouldn't have been as sensitive and as and as feeling as you are. Hmm. And you wouldn't have been as fine a human as you are. So I'm even, I'm even glad I made that mistake. I, I admitted the mistake and I was wrong, but you turned out just like I wanted you to. Sure. Boy, it totally disarmed him. He he was he was at first he was saying, "What do you mean? He, I thought you said you were sorry." And I said, "No, I mean you turned out so great. I couldn't have possibly asked for a better human being than you are." So as a result, uh, you know, it disarmed him hmm. because he. Uh, I used even this negative to to bless him. Sure. But it, yeah. Oh, that's that's you know, you, a terrific you gotta, example. You, I think as as you go along, and as they continue to grow, you and you know everybody's looking for that. They're looking for that in in, in the business. Uh, the reason coaches are some coaches are so successful is because they're really substitute fathers. Because very few very few players had good fathers. Hmm. And so, you know, they need a substitute father as a coach. And, and you know, the people that I probably lead the best in, in my ministry are people that really need fathers. Okay. A lot of people that come with us to serve as volunteers, you know, look to me like a father. And uh, and I know that. And also, it, it encourages them to seek out father substitutes for themselves, as I talk about how I do that. I've always done that. Hmm. And I think I think the father problem is really kind of inherent in business, in sports. It's in almost every area. Sure. One of the keys to leadership, in my opinion, is to understand that most people have a father wound. That they have a father wound. That, yeah, they're, they're wounded by their fathers. Sure. And they they don't you know they don't feel that they don't feel that they're really fulfilled like they should be. And the father needs to, you know, I, I encourage uh, people to to have bar mitzvah, even if they're not Jewish. Oh, really? 
yeah, yeah. Like I encourage Christian bar mitzvahs, where you, where you. Uh, I was I was I was at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, and I saw people give you know, kids getting their bar mitzvah. I just saw on their faces a tremendous sense of release and power by the Father blessing them. Huh. And it, it really is true. Kids are looking for that. Now, they don't always, you know, I think you've got to do this in a very sensitive way because you can't just attack a child and you know, bless him because he might think you're crazy. But you know, on the other hand, I think, I think that they want it. They want it so badly that you can even botch it, and they still appreciate it. What's next for you? And by that, I just mean you've achieved so much, and you continue to to this day. Are there any things that, with what you're currently doing, or anything even unrelated to what you're currently doing, that you have aspirations for? My big, hairy, audacious goal. I call it my BHAG. I think there's a there's a I got read a great book on that about will to last, but um, it the it's your BHAG, your big hairy audacious goal is sort of like Kennedy had a goal of going to the moon and coming back again in ten years, and he achieved it. Even though he died within two years of the time he set the goal, he it still carried people after his death to it. And uh, Sam Walton had a goal of being the biggest reseller in the world, and he ultimately did that, of course. He's really the biggest corporation in the world now. Right. He had a, it was called a big, it was a big, a big, hairy, audacious goal. <laughs> Sometimes big, hairy, audacious goals carry your organization far beyond what you could have ever done in, in and of yourself. And uh, I've set the goal uh, in our organization of, of, uh, of franchising our ministry around the world. Oh, great. I think everything we're doing in prisons and schools and with kids at risk of work anywhere in the world, you know. And we've done a lot of that already. We've been we've been in many foreign countries already. And uh so someday that's certainly not happening right now, but it's 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 on the drawing boards and it has you know, we've already achieved it to a degree. We've gone we've been to Brazil and Mexico and England and South Africa and uh, Puerto Rico and the main Republican. We've done these same things everywhere, and it works equally well in other countries. Wow. And so we would like to do it over, all over the world. And we've done it already to some lesser or greater degree, but not not anything like I'd like to see us do it in the future. Well, that's a great goal. Yeah, it is. It's what, what's what I call a BHAG, Big Hairy Audacious Goal. that's terrific (laughs) thank you so much again for sharing of your time and wisdom okay god bless that concludes part three of our podcast with national leader of the month bill glass check back in next month for another podcast from the resource for leaders leadernetwork.org